uh, Acts 6 is our study this morning. We're only going to get the first couple of verses done this morning uh, in Acts chapter 6. The whole section is chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. We'll get through about verses 1 and 2 in our study this morning. Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Luke writes, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. And then they proposed a solution to this impasse. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we just bow before you this morning and are grateful to you for the ministry of Mike and Janelle and Finn, and we thank you for them, and we pray that you will guide them as they uh, prepare themselves for how you're going to use them in Indonesia. Uh, Lord, thank you for how they've already been used. Thank you for the translation that has already been done and the people who are receiving the Bible in their heart language. We pray that many will respond to the truth of the gospel. And Lord, help us to be faithful here to read our Bibles. So many of us have more Bibles than we need. Uh, we just pray, Lord, that we might use them, that we might be reading them, studying them, committing ourselves to your will for our lives and sharing with those around us the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that saves, the gospel that gives new life, that Christ died for our sins and he rose from the dead. Death could not hold him and he's at your right, at your right hand this very day. Thank you, Lord. Now guide us in this study, please, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In Acts chapter 6, we are encountering for the second time Satan trying to interfere with the church and trying to cause trouble and difficulties in the church. This is Satan's second attack upon the church. Can you remember what his first attack was? It was through two people. Ananias and Sapphira. His first attack was through those two people as they lied to the church, lied to the Holy Spirit, lied to God, and God, to make an example of them, judged them immediately. Well, the Scripture tells us that Satan prompted that. Satan prompted them to do that. Well, this is the second time we see Satan disturbing the church. The second time we see him serving, uh, disturbing the church as he sows envy and misunderstanding in the church itself. He used the flesh, that is the sinful nature of these people, the selfish nature, the, the nature that looks out for number one. They used their selfish nation, nature to cause dissension in the church and to divide the church. And when there is dissension in the church and division in the church, the church can't do the main job that God set the church apart to do. What is that? Nobody knows. Spread the gospel. Spread the gospel. Don't be afraid, folks. These aren't hard. It's not going to go on your permanent record. 
The first job of the church is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world around us, with the lost and dying and going to hell people around us who need the Savior and need life, need, <coughs> excuse me, the eternal life and the abundant life that God offers them, those who put their faith in Him. So Satan tries to disturb the church. He tries to cause dissension in the church. He tries to divide the church so that the church's energies are channeled away from and in other directions from the task of evangelization. Thirdly, he tries to cause dissension in the church to dispirit the church and its servants, to cause us to be discouraged and to cause us to say, what's the use? So that's what's going on here in this particular passage. Now, interestingly enough, Satan attacks them at the point of their strength. Satan attacks them at the point of their strength. Remember, one of the great strengths of the early church, and we're going to look at a couple of passages in just a moment, one of the great strengths of the early church was the way they took care of each other, the way they took care of each other physically, the way they made sure everybody had enough food, the way they made sure everybody's needs were taken care of. That was extremely important in the early church, and they did such a great job of it that people were attracted to them. Look at Acts chapter 2. Look at Acts chapter 2 real quickly. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, had every, uh, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then in chapter 4 and verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. What a tremendous strength that was to the early church. What an example to the world around them about how the church took care of its own. And that's the point at which Satan attacks Satan always attacks at your strongest point. Satan always attacks at your strongest point, and he does that here with the church, attacking the early church. Well, the way he did it is in, uh, they had either a physical table in which the, the uh, uh, money was distributed or a physical table in which uh, things were distributed that people needed, and the widows in particular, because the Bible has a, a, a heart for widows. We see that in the book of James. We see that in the book of Titus. Uh, we see that in 1 Timothy. There's a heart for widows in the Bible and for 
the need for the church to take care of those who are widows, what the scripture calls widows indeed. And so that's what they did. Remember, many of the people in Jerusalem at this time, many of the people there for Pentecost, they had come from other parts of the world. And they were all there for the festival. And then the Holy Spirit came down upon the church and initiated the church. And the gospel of Jesus Christ went forward. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And the church grew and grew. And there were no needy people among them. Well, in those days, the number of disciples increased. And we see now there were two I don't even want to call them factions, but two separate groups of Jews that were in the church. Two separate groups of Jews that were in the church. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because the Grecian Jews thought their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. They thought their widows were not being cared for as the Hebraic widows. Well, what is the difference between these two groups? Well, the Grecian Jews were those who were non-Aramaic speaking. They were non-Aramaic speaking. They were from outside Palestine. They were reared outside Jerusalem. That was the Grecian Jews. The Hebraic Jews were those Jews who were uh, Aramaic-speaking. By the way, the Jews in that day spoke not Hebrew, but Aramaic. Jesus, when he was uh, on earth before his crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, spoke Aramaic. That's what he spoke. That was the common language. Well, the Hebraic Jews were the ones who were Aramaic-speaking. They were from that area. They were from Jerusalem. So there was a dissension come up between these two groups. And the Grecian Jews complained about the Hebraic Jews because they thought that their widows were not being cared for properly. Dr. Kenneth Gangle, who is a great teacher of the Word of God in heaven now, said this, the Grecian Jews mentioned in this passage had lived most of their lives outside of Palestine. Their primary language was Greek rather than Aramaic, and their cultural foreign by Palestinian standards. The distrust which home country Jews held for these people may explain the problem which surfaces in this chapter. So what happens? Verse 1 tells us that the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Now you can write beside the word complained, the word murmured. They murmured. There was this undercurrent. What, is, what picture does murmuring bring to you? When you think of somebody murmuring, what's the picture that comes to mind? Gossip. Gossip. Somebody talking behind somebody else's back, right? Somebody talking about somebody, sharing things they should not share. That was the idea behind this. A murmuring, a muttering. That is, uh, it's the A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar, said, it is the secret grumblings that buzz away till they are heard. 
the secret grumblings that buzz away until they are heard. That's a great statement. That's a great statement, secret grumblings. It's the kind of thing where somebody is offended by somebody else in the church, and what do they do? Do they go to the person who offended them? No, they usually go to their friends. And they go to their friends and they tell them, you cannot believe what so-and-so did to me, or said to me, or whatever it might be. And you know, we're so practiced in, in uh, Christianese that the first thing we do is say, would you pray for us? You know, that's more gossip which has been shared in the church through that little phrase, would you pray for us, than any other. Well, that's what's going on here, this murmuring, this behind-the-back talking, and it caused a serious disturbance in the early church, a serious disturbance in the early church. Tension already existed between these, group, these two groups and it was exacerbated by this issue. The daily distribution, by the way, the phrase daily distribution that's mentioned here in our text comes from the word diakonia. Diakonia, that is close to the word that we use called what? Deacon, a deacon. And so diakonia uh, simply meant service. It was uh, simply service. And they were, uh, it's later called the service of the table because tables were used for serving food or for distributing money, the place where the funds and the supplies were administered for the widows. Verse 2 we read, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. That's the word diakonain. Diakonain, it's related. It's related to the daily distribution. Literally, it's, it's referring to those who wait on tables. Those who wait on tables. Well, this dissension comes up among these two groups, and Ray Stedman talks about it this way, the Hellenists express their dissatisfaction by murmuring, and murmuring is always deadly. These Greek-speaking Christians did not complain to those in authority, those responsible, they simply complained among themselves, thus spreading discontent throughout the whole body of Christians. When you complain about a problem to people who are not in a position to do much about it, that is murmuring. And murmuring brought the judgment of God upon the children of Israel in the wilderness in the Old Testament days. Murmuring is always the mark of a quarrelsome, discontented, unhappy spirit. That's a, that's a serious statement. Murmuring is always... Murmuring is always the mark of a quarrelsome, discontented, unhappy spirit. Some years ago, a pastor by the name of Jim Simbala wrote a book entitled Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire. Uh, anybody ever read the book? Kathy has. <laughs> Anybody else? Fresh wind, fresh fire? Anybody know who Jim Cimbala is? OK, 
Okay, have you ever heard of Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? Okay, there you go. Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. His wife directed the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. He was pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Uh, it was an inner city church. They dealt with a lot of uh, issues with drugs and things of that sort. And uh, he wrote this book entitled Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire. And he's describing one particular Sunday service in which they were receiving new members. And apparently the way they did it is new members, those who wanted to attach themselves to the church, would come to the front of the church and he would uh, give them a charge. And so he says this, one Sunday about 20 years ago, back in our days at the YWCA, I said something <clears throat> impromptu while receiving new members into the church, and that has stuck with us ever since. People were standing in a row across the front before me, and as I spoke, the Holy Spirit seemed to prompt me to add, and now I charge you, as pastor of this church, <clears throat> that if you ever hear another member speak an unkind word of criticism or slander against anyone, myself, another pastor, an usher, a choir member, or anyone else, you have authority to stop that person in mid-sentence and say, excuse me, who hurt you? Who ignored you? Who slighted you? We will not let you talk critically about people who are not present to defend themselves. And then Symbala says this, To this day, every time we receive new members, I say much the same thing. It is always a solemn moment. That is because, and this is the key, he said it's a solemn moment because I know what it is that most easily destroys churches. It's not crack cocaine. It's not government oppression. It's not lack of funds. Rather, it is gossip and slander that grieves the Holy Spirit. That's the most destructive force upon the church. The most destructive force upon the church. So, it's immensely important for you and me to understand how did the apostles deal with this problem that could have split the church right down the middle? How did they deal with it? What did they do? Well, the first thing I want you to understand, and this is all we'll really get this morning, I'll give you the other uh, ways that they dealt with this next week. But the first thing they did is they took a problem solving approach they took a problem solving approach they didn't do the blame game they they did not go negative they stayed positive and they dealt with this in a problem solving way and next week we'll talk about the five things that they did that solved this issue for the early church and at an important junction in the church they saved it from being split into factions. And I think it's really instructive for all of us today. One writer in a commentary said this, this is a volatile situation. The apostle's solution to the problem is a model 
for future generations, instead of trying to pin the blame on someone, they take positive action by asking all the disciples to participate in a solution and a decision. This course of action was preferable also to the apostles assuming further administrative duties which would force them to neglect the ministry of the word of God. In other words, it caused the apostles also to realize what their main responsibility was. It caused the apostles to understand that they can't leave the preaching of the word, they can't leave the teaching of the word, they can't leave the ministry of prayer in order to wait on tables. Not that there's anything demeaning about waiting on tables if God has called somebody to do that, called somebody to minister to those in need. That's a high calling. That's a high calling. But it caused the apostles to identify what God called them to do. We're going to talk a lot about that next week. And next week we'll also just briefly deal with the question is, were these that were chosen in Acts 6 the first deacons? Were they the first deacons? We'll talk about that next week. At any rate, the writer I was just quoting said this. <clears throat> Modern, well, just I'll go back just a second here. This course of action was preferable also <clears throat> to the apostles assuming further administrative duties which would force them to neglect the ministry of the word of God modern leaders of the church would do well to observe such priorities next week we'll get into these other questions we'll see how the apostles dealt with this the five things they did we'll talk more about the importance of the ministry of the word of God and of prayer and we'll briefly talk about are these the first deacons let's bow in prayer Father, thank you. Thank you that we can study how the early church dealt with a problem that could have led to a gigantic split right there at the beginning of the church and how the apostles, using the wisdom that you gave them, using your word, dealt with this issue in a way that put it to rest. Oh Lord, we are tempted many times to murmur. We're tempted to gossip about the people around us help us to know that lord if we have been offended by someone <clears throat> the only true solution is to go to them not to other people not to our friends but to go to them and talk to them and father we just uh thank you for what we're learning from the early church help us to apply it we pray in jesus name amen